Water can flow or it can crash. Be water, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we All are matter is ultimately magic. quantum energy that originates from another dimension. Eventually, intelligence will become substrate independent. We will transcend the limitations of biology. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. Boom shakalaka. Can you hear me? Got you loud and clear. Fantastic. Ready to roll. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, we are live here on the Crystal Journey podcast. And after... A long wait for Risa here, me trying to get everything set up. Um, I'm a little new to Zoom. This is the first time I've done a, a setup like this. So once again, Risa, really do appreciate you. Uh, Risa, ladies and gentlemen, is someone that I've been connecting with for a few years now. She's quite the wisdomatic truth bomber. She's interested in a lot of really fascinating things. She's a fellow artist, fellow singer, dancer, and uh, she is a, a very interesting last i mean you're, you're caught up in a lot of things you're into a lot of what i would call the esoteric mystery schools you're you're into healing i know that's your main focus at the moment you've been focusing on esoteric psychology and astrology which is a little different to your your run-of-the-mill astrology which we're going to get into and uh i'm just curious to find out what's been going on in your world because i know you recently moved to queensland from the act and you know I was thinking of doing the same thing. In fact, a lot of people I feel like have been thinking of going to Queensland to kind of get away from, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what's been going down in Melbourne, but it's been crazy lockdown. And then before you know it, it the same thing is going on in Queensland. It's like you guys are going through uh, your own little um, uh, intense uh, lockdown, Orwellian governmental control. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we have the lovely, amazing, intelligent scholar, wisdomatic truth bomb, Reeser in the house. And we're going to spend the next... Uh, 40 to an hour talking to her about what she's been up to. Risa, how you doing? Awesome. What a great intro. And uh, yeah, certainly a wide scope of um, things to play with today. Uh, yeah, the move to Queensland. I mean, uh, where I was in the ACT, actually, we weren't too badly affected. And uh, yeah, with what's been going on in my life the last two years, uh, I've been in my own kind of version of a lockdown, let's say, uh, psychologically, metaphysically going through a very intense uh, purification, a very deep uh, dark night of the soul, which of course more and more people are being initiated into within their various phases uh, of wherever their unfolding is, the kind of um, the having to let go of the old ways. And of course, we're seeing that reflected in the world at large. Um, you know, this, this what is happening with this collective distortion is simply a mirror to like it's the magnified macrocosmic uh, reflection of these places internally that we have failed to meet as individuals and thus as a collective, because of course the collective is only made up of individuals. Absolutely. So as above, yeah, so below, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to, as much as there's a, a need to be contending with the superficial in whatever way we are called to, if you're being a sacred activist or standing up for rights. However, we are drawn into participation in these times. It's very important that we are also able to find the center, the quiet center, the burning center underneath all of what is appearing out there so that we uh, can really, yeah, it's like finding our own source so that we can center ourselves in that which is somehow transcendental or uh, much more true than the chaos that we see as the manifestation of our disconnection from that place. So this is the work that I've been engaged in with my partner here as well. Uh, yeah, coming into, what does it actually mean to be a human being in these times? What does it actually mean that we have incarnated 
here at these times? And what are we asked to do uh, with regards to the disillusioning of our own identity, of our own identities, of our own belief systems, and uh, yeah, to come into true knowledge of what we are, who we are, beyond preferences, beyond what has been conditioned in our thoughts and yeah. Wow, that is a, that's a lot to unravel. So you're focused on a lot of things in developing people's, uh, people's sense of being, roundedness, their journey, their, their, their past, their, their mission. And uh, I feel like these things are ever more necessary in the current times we, we're in. You know, I feel like when you're going, I, I heard the, the most amazing, um, well, I came across this meme just recently talking about how when you're going through adversity, like a tree, you tend to dig into the roots of the ground to, to, to ground yourself. And this is when you go out and you connect with your friends and your family. And when you're going through times of, of joy and love, that's when you stretch your your branches like a tree out into the sky and you, you, you want to reach out and experience new things. But at the moment, I feel like a lot of people are kind of digging in, finding their sense of purpose, the groundedness, connecting to their own community. And uh, I just got the impression that your, your work tends to fulfill both those areas, you know, and allowing people to find themselves and also uh, ground themselves, you know? So um, how did you get involved in this kind of work? Because you haven't always been following this path, I would presume, is that right? Yeah, well, I think like many of us, uh, it starts with the inquiring mind. It starts with the, the sense, even though we cannot articulate it, that something is not right here. Something is not uh, in alignment with the way things are being run. And of course, we sense that, we tend to sense that first through our external experience of reality. Something's not right in how I'm governing my relationships. I'm attracting this kind of experience consistently or what is going on with this control in the government or what is going on with our education systems and the way we treat our children and shoving them into daycare. It's like whatever is, is that piece of the question that invites us into a deeper inquiry. So it began for me with that very much still of the mind inquiring into my own nature and particularly seeing that uh, I had a lot of trouble with particularly things like personal relationships were really uh, a great source of suffering in my life. And so it was like, why? Why is this happening? And plenty of feedback from different people just suggested, yeah, it was like, don't bother inquiring. You just, everyone's just fucked up and you just kind of manage it. And I just always thought that this was bullshit. It was always obvious to me that if we learn certain pathways, that they can be unlearned, they can in fact be dissolved. And, and some people in the modern psychological field can understand this, but still it's very much for the most part about uh, accepting that you're broken, but then not really getting to the core of that. It's just instead about management. It's like you figure out ways to kind of dance around yourself mm -hmm. rather than simply getting to the core of what is truly going on. What is the, the origin in you that is creating this suffering, the disconnection? And of course, that movement is very hard for people to make because it takes us to the core of our own suffering, to, to shine the light of that which is underneath most of our movements at least when we're still in that egocentric state of mind. Well and said. So, well said. Yeah. I feel like you've really surmised the heart of what this entire thing is, the journey, you know, trying to, I mean, first understanding that there is something that is amiss here. Hearing you talk about that, it kind of reminded me of the the, the start of The Matrix, uh, the, the classic movie with Keanu Reeves, because from what I remember, there, this seemed to be something that was a little off. And the dig, the deeper that he digs into it, he realizes that, Oh, that this is this. There definitely is something off, and then finally he gets that choice. 
do I go further or do I just um, uh, get caught up in this um, incessant day-to-day -day <laughs> hustle and kind of just uh, live a, a nine-to-five life, you know? And I guess the, the, the beautiful, courageous thing to do is to dig deep. You know, I feel like a lot of people want to walk away from the truth, want to walk away from self-discovery because they think it's easier. But one of the most um, powerful things I remember hearing in a lot of my um, youthful learnings was that uh, the truth, regardless of how painful it is initially, is always better than um, uh, blind ignorance, you know, because at some, at some point, not knowing and not having an awareness of yourself, it will manifest to affect you on some level if you're not ready for it. And I, yes. it's, this is kind of like a Demartini idea, but if you kind of shrink away from the challenges in life, they will constantly re reappear and they will find you and you'll, you'll still have that difficulty and you won't be prepared for it. But if you go and face these incredibly brutal challenges, it's like the universe will work to help you to achieve those goals and deal with those challenges. Mm -hmm. And that happens because if everything is one, the truth is one. And of course we believe in separation because we're identified with like this as like the end of myself or something. We're identified with, with matter, right? So to come into the spiritual revelation is to become identified as that which doesn't change, which then transforms matter. It's like in a lucid dream, if you wake up in the dream, you realize it's not real. And that's what allows you to bend it. It's like, then you can start to, and so life is like exactly. that. That's so powerful. of course anything, yeah, anything, if you're running away from yourself, of course, the only thing that can happen is that the unconscious, which is literally everything else outside of what you believe yourself to be from your place of identification, your belief in what you are. Mm -hmm. So if I'm running away from my sense of feeling unworthy, it's so painful and it's in the unconscious. I have a deep unworthiness wound. Then I keep running into situations that bring that part of me to myself where I get, I attract people that reject me or somehow reflect to me my lack of self-worth. And that happens until our consciousness stops the, the tracks of the running away and to sit there and burn in the hell of feeling that. And then what we find when we sit with our pain and we, this is what it means to bear the cross, to walk with your own cross, to, to crucify yourself. You, you walk with your suffering and you meet your suffering. You stop running away from your suffering. It is in those moments of absolute hell and a sense of hopelessness and I can no longer get away from my limitation, from my suffering, that this ends up turning in, into itself, and it burns a hole at the centre. And at that centre is revealed light. It is revealed you as the transpersonal nature. And it's no wonder that people, it often takes people a great deal of suffering before they wake up, because we're just trained to keep, to keep trying to rearrange the surface, rearrange the surface of our lives without seeing that we're, we're creating this from the inside out. So when we turn towards ourselves and we bear our cross and this is where the journey, um, and this is how it was for me, where it broke out of personal development because, of course, as I was saying before, starts with an inquiring mind. Okay, what is this? What is, where did this pattern come from? Okay, I do some shadow work. I do some emotional work. I look at, like, the matrix programming. Okay, like, whatever those parts are, you know, removing yourself from certain circumstances, even physical health, changing your diet, like, trying to basically trying to evolve and take better care. But at a certain point, there is a crucifixion where the ego self, which is trying to make itself better, can no longer do that. And this is the, the, still the phase, the threshold that very, very few people are crossing. It's calling more and more and more, but it's still very hard at this point. More and more people are, are engaging in personal development, which is great. 
It's what we'd call the first initiation within uh, some of the esoterics teachings. But the second initiation happens when the ego can no longer make itself better because you see that that ego, that personality, isn't, isn't your source. You are something far deeper than that. And that is where the turning in on the suffering happens and where the crucifixion and the surrender, this is a surrendering to higher consciousness. I cannot do this on my own humility. Mm-hmm. Bam. And this is where people start to have heart openings. And this is not the same as, as just gathering esoteric knowledge. It is an opening of the heart center as well. And beautifully in the matrix, you know, you talk about Neo from the matrix trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a Christ mythos. That's exactly what happens. He goes through the questioning he remo- and he gets removed from the matrix, but he still doesn't know who he is, mm-hmm. right? And he still cannot, um, you know, dodge the bullets. He doesn't know who he is, which is to really know. And it's not a mental knowing, of course, because this is why when he jumps off the building, you know, he, everyone fails the first jump, you know, <laughs> when sure. he's doing the initiations. And, um, yeah, he has that point. And he has to die, remember, because the agents shoot him and he literally dies. Yeah. And he surrenders. And then he wakes moment. up. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. I know myself as the Christ I am. Yeah. That's so powerful to hear you talk about that moment because I often make a lot of references, well, to the Matrix in general, but that specific moment where Neo becomes the the one. Because what I see in that is not only a surrender, but I kind of look at these two states of mind. There's this this conscious you, which a lot of people think a lot, even in art, a lot of people look at things whether it's martial arts or creating music from a very left brain sense, like I must be completely in control and figure out what I'm gonna do in my mind. And then there's some people that basically detach from that that left brain ego and they surrender to what I call the muse. And uh, it's this idea of letting go and allowing Christ consciousness God, Buddha, Allah, whatever you want to call it, kind of manifests through you. This is the ancient idea of the the genius. It's derived from this concept of the genii, where essentially you're allowing this muse to work through you. And what I see in the Matrix is Neo basically letting go. Like there's this point where he becomes unaware of how he's doing what he's doing. Like he's watching himself, you know, do martial arts. And he's it's almost as if he's watching himself from another part and allowing this other force work through him. And a lot of musicians refer to this as tapping into the muse. And I, I love the, the concept because it's basically like reminiscent of what you're saying, this idea of letting go, surrendering to something else, your higher self. And once you open up your heart chakra, the Anahata, like in mystery schools, this is associated to opening yourself up to the higher consciousness. That's when you allow that, that Christ energy to work through you. So what you were saying there, like that's really powerful for me. That's something that I've, I always try to do in my music and in a sense, my life and this idea of surrendering and not getting so caught up in the ego when you're trying to create. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's um, it's that call that we're all walking towards and it is the call into meeting yourself. It is the call into knowing God. And when you Absolutely. say the Christ consciousness, what I've observed in the collective is more and more people are, are having what I would call, in, in specifically in regards to the heart centre, let's say, because there's the mind, you know, and we can talk about the three centres in a moment as well as the head, heart and the gut and what, what the, this kind of thing brings into peace. But specifically with the heart, people first tend to, yeah, they go through what I would call a water baptism, uh, as far as I understand it from the texts. But, you know, that seems to be what makes the most sense to me. And the water baptism is... Uh, yeah, it's like the sacred, loving, unified heart, which recognizes the soul, 
it's like, oh, I'm not my personality, I'm my soul. And this soul is this feels like a light body. And I, and I see the soul that I am and I see it in you and I recognize the unity of all souls. And so this is like a, a first initial step of opening, opening uh, transpersonal love. However, there is a deeper layer of the heart that is also possible to open. And this is exactly what I was getting at with the, the suffering piece because people can go through some dark nights of the soul and go into water baptism. But the baptism of fire is that which sets the being alive with that fire, quite literally. When people go through a fire baptism, it's intensely physically painful, as it was for me and what I've heard from others too. It sets yeah. the cells. It's like a burning. Uh, it's actually what I would uh, suggest is an aspect of kundalini. It's not based to, it's not from the root though. It's like, yeah, spirit directly uh, penetrates the system. Let's get into that because yeah. I, I was speaking to you early and you mentioned that um, it, it's interesting because I, I recently connected with you after not speaking to you for some time. And it's like I, I was speaking to almost a different person and you spoke a little about how you've obviously gone through this awakening of fire and you went a, a little into how, well, this entire experience. And I'd love to hear about that. So what was your awakening like? Uh, mm. Yeah. Well, I'd been through a water baptism and as it happened, life didn't want me to hang out in there too long because it kicked me up the ass not long after that. So I was about two, two months, I was alive in the baptism of water. And in, in the biblical texts, John the Baptist, so John the Baptist is like a big um, spiritual figure in the, in the Christian texts. And uh, John said to be this wild man and he takes Yeshua, Jesus, through his first series of initiations. But even John the Baptist himself said, you know, basically paraphrasing, Jesus will take people to where I cannot. And what he's meant by that is that the fire baptism is something even deeper than the water baptism. And it's not about like, you're not spiritual enough if you're not in the fire baptism, but it's just the phase. It's like, where does that threshold point happen? So the, the water baptism happened as first starting to inquire into, because I had done a lot of the mental stuff. And then it was started to open to shift down here. So the question was, what is love? And I had manifested a lot of codependent, unhealthy relationships with men in my life. And so the question was like, okay, why am I seeking love? And where is the lack? Where is that sense of lack? And, you know, going to the core rather than stopping trying to grab it from outside. And so that was just journaling and investigating and then just meditating on where, where I felt love in my life. And I worked with children a lot. So, and I had a very deep Christ's love for all the children that I worked with. So I kind of just went into that feeling even deeper and like, okay, so where do I feel that in my body? And what's another angle of that? Oh, gratitude. Or when someone really gives me something and I receive it, it's felt in this like chest area as this warm energy. And so it was just a going deeper into things that we had already experienced, of course, because most of us can have, have experience of that. But like going to it sort of at a sensory level and mm -hmm. maximizing, maximizing. How do I bring more of that? More, 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 more. What, like grateful for the beauty in my life. Da, 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 da. And so this was the light, the first phase of the awakening. And for two months, I was just alive with the water baptism. And I was walking around. I could feel that there was so much energy coming from my heart center that it was starting to like pop other people's heart centers open like resonance, right? So some people were kind of like, okay, you know, like doing double takes in a way that was, I could feel like, and a housemate that I had at the time went through an awakening too. 
as a result of me going through it. So it was like, so the energy of course, yeah, yeah. The energy of course is, is beyond the body. And then we start, oh, I can start to sense my etheric emotional body now. In any case, that was sort of this kind of high that I had for two months of just radiating this energy. And then, and then some deep aspects of the unconscious started to rise through me. And no longer could I use a prayer, a meditation, uh, an affirmation to take myself out of that state. So what we're seeing here is the loss of control, loss of control of the personality where the spiritual practice no longer can elevate you out. I can't just ascend out of my challenge. And these were kinds of emotional states that I'd never experienced before. It was just uncontrollable rage, uncontrollable grief, uh, sleeplessness, uh, all sorts of really intense physical, emotional pain. And then it was like a month getting prepared to initiate into the fire. And when I realized that that was kind of happening, I kind of recognized at a mental level, but of course at a being level, there was nothing but primordial terror. And that's what Christians mean when they say the fear of God. It's like, you know, people can make a dogmatic thing about it where it becomes obedient to a dogmatic idea, right? Which is not the same as the true thing, but why, why fear of God? Well, because when you truly surrender to that fire, it will require complete surrender and letting go of all that you think yourself to be. And that's, of course, terrifying. And so right at that precipice, that threshold that I was drawn to, and this is what a lot of people have when they get to this point, they think they're about to go insane. It feels like you're about to lose your mind. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose. Because you are, in a sense. You're going to the edge of your psychological reference point. And it feels like I'm about to die. And of course, it's psychological, but it feels physical. It's like I'm about to physically die. And it was, yeah. So when this started to happen, I went off for two weeks in the bush by myself and I practically just had an exorcism, what would have looked like an exorcism to anyone looking in. Mm -hmm. Because it was when you get to that point, you meet the deepest aspects of the controlling ego. This is the true meeting of the shadow. And it came up as... Yeah, it was like this dark, hateful, like really seeing what truly my ego was doing at that core. And it was just everything like doubt. You know, you meet all the heads and that's the story of the Buddha, right? Right, right before he gets enlightened, he's sitting up under the Bodhi tree and the seven heads of the whatever they call the demon appear. And it's like greed, lust, fear. And actually you think fear would be the hardest one, but... Uh, the last one he meets, if I'm recalling the story correctly, is actually self-doubt. Right. A doubt. Self-doubt. Interesting. Yeah. Like you, you'd think fear, but then the doubt. It's, and it's that voice of, you know, you're nothing or you, you think something special is happening to you, but, you know, or like whatever it is. And so this was a very intense, uh, yeah, it was a crossover point. And then there was a complete death of, and it's not like, then your ego is gone because it's a continual process, but it's like a significant threshold where the control that the ego has over the body mind breaks and the energy of the, the deep Christ of the fire Christ comes in and starts to directly rewire the physical vehicle. And so, yeah. And then since then it was like, it's been basically two years of integrating that central awakening. It was like a couple months of burning flames painful and ecstasy at the same time like just nothing that words can describe I mean just a complete grace 
a complete grace. And yeah, since then, it's just been a, allowing the body mind to be rewired by spirit, basically, to become a legitimate uh, functioning agent of the truth that wishes to birth itself here at this time to bring the kingdom. Yeah. That is so yeah. eloquently put. That is that was beautiful. That was so informative and yet so creative and poetic. I, I really um, got so much out of that because I, I often think about the journey, whether it's the hero's journey or like this, this idea of going through all these struggles in life and uh, how at, at times, I mean, I'm going through my own dark night of the soul. And I think a lot of people are at times it's uh, it's hard to, to, to really appreciate the process, but hearing you go through it, realizing that it is actually leading you somewhere and seeing this uh this birth of this new you come about through this fire this baptism it's um it's a beautiful thing to hear about you know and i i think of the the experiences that i not only observed but i've gone through myself and whereas they haven't been that deep but it does lead to a a new place a reawakening you know so um wow so this is essentially what you help people to uh to to over like to go through with the work that you do is that right to deal with this shadow and to to have a metamorphosis is this the kind of work that you're involved in more or less i mean there's a whole spectrum of different aspects of our healing of our realization i mean what mm -hmm. i just described there was awakening at the heart it's the awakening of the true spiritual center but then there's the mind that needs to be worked with to empty out perceptual structures because the shadow of if you're just heart realized then you can still be perceiving stuff through a, a noisy or a scattered five-year-old consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the brain has to be emptied out. And then there's the belly. If you don't integrate your love into the belly, then your love might be a supreme beam of a flaming sword of light that, you know, will inspire others. But, but you don't yet have the wisdom of the integrity because the integrity comes from, from the mother principle. She's the how if he's the why. So awakening to the heart is why. But mm -hmm. how requires coming down. And so just as it's much a fear of God in the heart to surrender there, it's an even deeper fear of the mother because she's like a black hole that just completely sucks you in. And, and, you know, the belly is where we hold all the deepest trauma, the groin in the genitals. I mean, all the ways in which we're compressed around the sexual energy and the life energy. Um, there's all this sort of unconscious pain held there, which, you know, and when you go into the belly, it's just a hell ride and you can't, uh, you can't personality, uh, personal development your way out of that. You just have to go through the the ride of this grief or this loneliness and all of these aspects of your humanity are being called to be touched, all of these aspects of the unconscious. Sure. So with people that work with us, it just depends because I can't always give it a sacred heart transmission because it doesn't always, it's not always relevant. Uh, and um yeah, sometimes they need a head transmission or they need support working with deconstructing the mind and belief systems. Sure. Other times it's just a deep, warm embrace of the mother of compassion as someone is riding through deep belly ancestral trauma. Because if you just try and say, oh, blast Christ out of your trauma, it's like that doesn't work all sure. the time. <laughs> you know? It sounds like you're identifying what part of the journey they're in and therefore it's discerning how to uh, to address their issues, you know, I mean, hearing about your journey and hearing about what you're talking about now, I think of the Kundalini awakening and in the classic Vedic idea, essentially, you're, you're essentially you're going through life, raising this Kundalini to the highest centers. And as you're going through different areas, for instance, you start 
at the root that deals with survival that's the sexual energy you you're as you rise the energy you experience different things as for for instance as you move towards the heart that's where you you have this sense of love and the universality of of consciousness that kind of thing and then you bring yourself up to the high energies and experience different things until finally there is an awake and the idea is as you, you can't go from, well, the idea is you, can't, you don't go from the root straight away to the crown, you know, there's this journey. And as you're opening up these centers and going through different experiences, there's this matriculation of consciousness where you're slowly uh, becoming the person that you need to become in order to move to, the, to the, the Christ consciousness connection towards that higher aspect of you. And it sounds like just hearing your, your journey, it sounds like you were going through certain stages, you know, just hearing you go from one stage to another. It sounds like there is this, this um, awakening that, that's taking place, like Kundalini awakening. At least that's what came to mind. Yeah, I mean, the more I go into it, I mean, at this time with the kind of way that it's unfurling through us and some of the other people we've worked with, it seems to be becoming more and more rounded. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is it started with, I would say the journey really started, really started to like aligning with God fully and like giving up anything in my life that wasn't in alignment with that complete surrender and obedience to what is true, which is what's scary for people, of course. Mm -hmm. But that was the heart. And then through opening the heart, the energy started to come into the mind. And then, okay, now I'm sort of purifying my headspace and okay, like all the contraction and tension and and in and thoughts, we tend to think our mind is something ethereal and separate. But what happens is when we start to enter the head, we start to be able to feel thoughts somatically. But you can feel sensor, sensorily thoughts like, oh, I wonder what Sally's doing. Oh, whoa, I can feel it in my brain. So, mm -hmm. so the head starts to go through an opening and a healing. And when that started to happen, I started to have uh, really intense headaches and not the kind of like painkiller headaches, compression headaches of like the, the head healing itself. And in fact, I've had a constant level of really uh, to a medium to acute level painful headaches for nearly two years, constant. Uh, yeah, because of the brain healing itself. So we don't tend to think of thoughts as physical things, but mm -hmm. to have a stressed out belief or stressed out perception, it requires that <laughs> like to, the head to kink up so to open the head to relax the head into into quiet into spaciousness which is a shiva energy and the more we have space up here the more we can listen to the heart and the more we can allow shakti to express because if we don't have a pure head and we have a bunch of life force open in our system we're like you know you're just like a crazy person you, you know your mind is like a computer yeah. full of junk that's a powerful <laughs> point i i mean I, I was brought up learning a lot about this. And I'm, I mean, what I get from what you're saying a lot of the times is when you were trying to, let's say, access this higher frequency, this energy, you need to prepare your body for it. This is why you go through this completely. Your body is not just going through like spiritual changes, but you're, you're going through physiological changes. Because the idea is that if you're not ready to take in this, this energy, it can, it can burn you. Like light has the power not only to deliver truth, but to burn. That's why... In a lot of these shamanistic societies, they go through preparation rituals in order to prepare you for the awakening of the of these of these divine revelations. You know, and whether it's through a, an ayahuasca journey or through meditational practices, I mean, there are things that they do like purifying the body, eating the right kind of food, and disciplining the mind in order to become more receptive towards these higher energies. Because the thing that I feel like isn't really discussed a lot about um, accessing this kind of stuff is 
if you're not ready for it, it actually can do a lot of harm. Like you, you hear about people going through schizophrenia when they're like, this is why a lot of the Christians um, typically, they're very apprehensive about dealing with what they consider to be this kind of stuff. Like they call it the occult when essentially the cult is that which is hidden, not realizing that much of these Christian traditions are, are seated in the esoteric sciences, you know, like the oldest versions of Christianity, Gnosticism, they actually deal with these concepts. But the fear comes from the fact that there is understandably dangerous when you're not prepared, when you're not ready. I mean, one of the reasons I'd always avoided certain intoxicants as a child to this day is because if, I mean, it can be dangerous if you're opening yourself up to, these things can actually be doorways to um, different states of consciousness. And if you're not in the right kind of space, you can damage yourself. And I think similarly, when you are accessing certain frequencies, you're experiencing certain things, it can be dangerous if you haven't gone through the necessary steps to get there. Yeah, this is a really uh, poignant uh, aspect that you bring up, and particularly with the Christians, because I know exactly what you mean, that they, mm -hmm. they're so resistant to- Call you a witch. Stay away from yeah. that woman. She is a witch, I tell yeah. you. Exactly. And it's like this, and that comes from a still a yeah, it's like a misunderstanding of what the snake in the Garden of Eden really means. Like, you know, it's well. Let's get into what, that. What What is the? I feel like I feel like you would be a representation of the snake. You know, the 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 knowledge. It's like, open your mind to the, <laughs> to the, the truth, to the to the feminine energy. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Archetypally, like if we take away the superficial meaning, actually it becomes very obvious what the snake represents. And what we need to see with Adam and Eve in the garden is, of course, they're in a unified state. They're one with God. That's why it's a heaven. It's the Garden of Eden, right? And, of course, um, then the snake comes. And the snake, what does the snake represent? It represents deception, obviously. But why is it that the snake is the symbol of deception? And this is why. Typically when people start to descend into the feminine, and I would say that in physically and with consciousness, it translates to descending into the belly because that's the earth. You're descending into your, because I am earth. I'm part of her body. So descent, bringing consciousness down. It's not uncommon for people to start to have archetypal dreams that bring up these imprints. So some people go, oh, I'm not Christian or religious. And then they go into the feminine and they have all this like Christian mythology start to appear. It's like, okay, yeah, because the archetypes are there. So when people have dreams meeting the feminine, it's not uncommon for that to show up as reptiles, snakes, sometimes even supernatural forces, as it was for me, but typically snakes and spiders. And it's like, why is this? Well, if we think about nature and the evolution of nature, of the physical matter aspect of reality, the snakes and the reptiles are one of the oldest forms of life that go way and way and way and way back. So they represent matter. They represent the evolution of nature. So, okay, the snake's demonic then? No, no, no. The thing is, if the, the symbol is that when Adam and Eve listen to the snake, they are deceiving themselves by identifying, identifying with nature, identifying with matter. And that's not how it's supposed to be. You're meant to identify with spirit and matter reflects the beauty of that. So what that will look like is at a simple level for layman's terms, uh, I feel a lustrous um, uh, impulse to go out and like fuck like crazy. And because I feel that in the body, I act on it, but I don't sense is that actually in integrity to do that? Or if it's a food thing, I have a craving to, um, you know, eat lots of bad food. Okay, you're attaching yourself to matter. You're deceiving 
yourself by thinking that your immediate animalistic impulses are truth. And of course, when you see a child, I mean, this is obviously what that stage of development is, because if you say, okay, I'm going to let my five-year-old child like run its own life, then what does the kid do? It stays up all night. It reacts immediately to its emotional, physical nature. And of course, there's nothing wrong with the emotional, physical nature, but part of our growth is to integrate and have a mastery over the animal body. And that doesn't mean repression and it doesn't mean excessiveness. It means to, to be integrating the body's impulses with love, which is spirit. And so the problem, so what happened in the Garden of Eden was that they put matter first. They put matter before God. And it's meant to be, I centre in spirit as the truth and then I integrate into matter and she reflects that. But if I put the cart before the horse, this is where all sorts of shit starts to go wrong. And I start to just, yeah, I just, I descend into my animal nature and the animal nature is beautiful and must be integrated. But if you're just that, then you become, you become an animal. You see Absolutely. that. And that if you're just That is such a salient point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I heard, just spirit, yeah. I've heard Sorry, Osho um, express the, the same idea in, in the sense of tr essentially trying to sublimate the, the lower energy towards the higher realms. I mean, Osho is one of these people that got me kind of changing my view towards how I would see um, a, a lot of the, uh, the, the taboo top, like a lot of the, the Christian I ideal is that, oh, you, you must, uh, you must avoid having any kind of um, uh, de debaucherous, like fulfilling the, this sexual desire kind of thing, you know, repressive kind of energy. And Osho kind of looks at this as its representation of this creative force, like the, the sexual energy. And ultimately, like what you were saying, it's about using that and turning that towards something more useful towards the higher centers. So there's this life force and this is represented within Eros. This is like a, a, a platonic concept. The idea of, um, I mean, Plato talks about the different kinds of love, love. Eros, uh, agape, feel but Eros deals more with that sexual kind of energy. And this is kind of like a bit centered in the root kind of thing. And the, the spiritual approach is to try to use that energy and cultivate things dealing with the spiritual world towards the higher plane. So towards your art, towards uplifting the vibration of the planet, towards purpose, rather than just, as you're saying, being caught up in this animalistic world. And uh, I think that is really a beautiful ideal. And we have to see that it needs to be integrated because the Christian fallacy is like, oh, then I don't go there. And that's crap because that's moving from, like you're not bringing spirit and love down into her. And that is her deepest longing. And of course, that's why when women start to descend, women very like tend to more quickly, I mean, it's in men too, but women can more quickly access the vortex of the feminine longing. It's like deep, like longing for God, longing for consciousness. And that's why it plays out as like a longing for, if you're unawakened, it's a longing for me to be fulfilled by a codependent relationship. It's like, actually, your longing is for God, but you need to get in contact with that part of yourself. There needs to be a meeting with the primordial animal, that primordial snake. That the, and why is it Medusa? Why does Medusa freeze? What, you know, that, and that's in Harry Potter too, the basilisk, right? The snake that paralyzes. And that's because there's a, the fear of nature, the fear of the feminine. But part of that healing and coming into the true divine union, and of course the Christians will say sex is preserved for people in marriage. It's like, again, you've literalized something. That it's the sacred marriage. It's the sacred marriage, the union of consciousness and matter. This mm. is the purified sexuality. It's, it's love, it's light and dark. It births the black light and it births the, the, the divine child. And that is true. That's an erotic 
uh, a deeply erotic, passionate, both deep and dense and light and spiritual at once. And this is what we're called to meet. And um, what you were saying before about the need to purify the system, it's like, well, yeah, it's exactly right. And this is why, you know, when you talk about people becoming schizophrenic, it's like, this is the trouble if people open the feminine, specifically the feminine, before they've worked with the masculine. And that's that is such a salient point. Yeah. My, my favorite author, I just had to drop in this just quickly. Uh, I think it was Dao who always says, know the masculine, but go with the feminine. And it's the idea of like learning the masculine, learning the left brain, learning how things work, understanding things, and then uh, letting that go and allowing the intuitive mind to take hold, the, the feminine, the, the creative force. So um, mm. I really like the fact that you said that, but sorry, to, sorry, go on. No, of course. And that's exactly right. Because if you're just the animal nature, it's like I say, it's not that matter's evil. It's just that if you're only matter, then you just are reacting to just impulse, impulse, impulse. And so the learning of the masculine is purifying and maturing your consciousness. And really what you're doing is you're increasing your potency, your penetrative loving potency as consciousness, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, your consciousness is him and he is the holding space, empty mind, and he is penetrative love as heart. And so those two combined create, it's like a, a creates a, uh, a symbolic phallus like the an alchemical ultimate, wedding um, the uh, yeah the, and yeah, it creates it's like you're, yeah yeah it's like and it, so for a woman if she just goes into her shakti without him then she's fucking all over the place you know and that's not um this is not feminine power and there's a lot of miscommunication with a lot of feminine teachings where they're Absolutely. calling it a feminine before they've integrated him and it's like if you don't have him you don't know how to hold her you don't know how to meet her you don't know how to interpret her it's like she is this wild force and your consciousness is that of a two-year-old. It's like, no, you need, the man needs to, the masculine needs to, needs to be able to love and stay still in her vortex mm. to, to merge with her. Otherwise it's just, you're just sure. taken out. By her. I, I feel like we should talk about this. I feel like in modern day society, there's this, there's war at play between the masculine and the feminine. Like I, I was having this conversation uh, not that long ago where even me bringing up the term feminine energy set this, this, this lady off. She was, oh, oh I, I don't believe in masculine and feminine. There is no sex, they're, they're all the same. And uh, I, I had to clarify that when I'm speaking about them, like a lot of people have this idea that you associate fem the feminine energy, the sacred feminine purely with uh, like female and masculine. But the thing is, in the Eastern school of thought, these energies are found within both the sexes. I mean, granted, the female typically has certain characteristics that we associate more with femininity, but the idea, like with the yin and yang, you have an element of both within you. And the idea is to, to nurture this, but also to, to have balance. You know, like the, if the I, I think the problem sometimes is when you get too caught up with one side, like for instance, um, I, I, I hate the idea of men that have not cultivated this masculine energy, the, the sacred masculine, standing in your sovereignty, um, believing in yourself, um, drive, wanting to cultivate your, your ambition, th this kind of energy, you know, as opposed to just compassion and creativity, nurturing, which is what I typically anyway, define with the, with the sacred feminine. And I feel as if we, we've kind of lost this idea of how they both serve a role in society. And I think there's something beautiful when you see two people come together and it's not necessarily a case of male being masculine, female being feminine, but often I find there is this 
there's this alchemical wedding, this uh, this alchemy of opposites that's uh, at play. And that's when you see, I remember hearing, I think it was Osho say that this is a, a very powerful thing when you see these two polarities come into play. Now, I don't believe it's necessary in order to have a healthy relationship. I know some people, I've met some people that are a like a representation of both different energies, you know, and there's something magical that comes into effect when you see someone that is, is still within your kind of energetic uh, makeup, you know, within this feminine or masculine energy, but there's it's almost like a, a stranger particles. They're not typically found together, but when they do come together, it's powerful. But I just feel like there is this loss of understanding between appreciating the feminine and the masculine. Yeah, well, the more dissociated we become from our truest nature, which is God, God and goddess, uh, the more this confusion and dissociation around gender happens. Now, of course, there's reasonably a phase of culture where we break out of gender roles. Okay, woman, housewife, man, job. Like, of course, like that's because that's not, I mean, that's just nothing compared to what the actual essence is. Concept is not the essence. So, of course, it makes, okay, we're going to break out of conceptual roles. That's fine. But the problem is when there's a sidestepping into like, oh, well, none of it's real, like gender isn't real. Well, no, because we see masculine and feminine principle at literally Every Everything. layer of yeah. reality. Exactly. There is a there is a male, there is a male and a female principle at every layer of analysis. And to be against that, to to say that that isn't not that isn't the case, is actually ironically the deepest rejection of the feminine possible, because you are rejecting nature in this. You are rejecting the wisdom of the infinite within the form reality. So. It doesn't mean that woman is just woman because if you're being identified, I'm, I'm a woman, so I have all these ideas about what that means. I mean, that's false. That's identification. We need to dissolve identification, dissolve what you think you are. But at a deeper level, when we open consciousness, consciousness is masculine because why? Because matter, the body receives, receives penetrative consciousness. So you as a man, is this is what's interesting. This is really clears it up for people. Mm. If I'm working with you, if we work together and I'm going to help you meet your primordial maleness, what I'm actually doing is helping you descend into your feminine. And that's because your male body came from the earth. It is matter and thus it is feminine. But through opening your feminine, your deepest feminine, the primordial male opens up because even though your, your body is feminine, it's a male expression of that universal principle and it's the same thing with a woman she might be her essence might be most deeply receptive at the fundamental level but she must she must learn how to penetrate herself because if she doesn't learn how to do that then then what that means is that the man and this is a lot of confusion in tantric and sacred sexuality uh, works where they kind of they sort of again they literalize the essences a bit so okay man's always consciousness and then woman's always receptive and the problem with that is that if man's always being consciousness, he doesn't get to penetrate himself and she doesn't learn how to mature to penetrate herself. Because the reality is that you are also a woman in terms of your body. So I, if we're in a relationship together and you start to meet some trauma, which is you opening your feminine, your body, then part of my role in my relationship with you is bringing loving consciousness there to support you in that. So, so, there's, there needs to be a capacity for us to be flexible in where is the penetration and the receptivity happening in any one moment. However, of course, when we do that very, very deeply, then yes, there is a male essence that opens through his body, through his integration. And there is the female essence that opens through her body, through her integration. And it's not that we then become just feminine and masculine. 
because like I said, it's both. You're always maturing your consciousness. But the ironic thing is that the less you are identified with gender, the more your body's essence opens, the more your body's essence opens. So it's like if I really don't believe I am a woman as a human being, that allows my womanhood to open because I'm not contracting myself into an idea of what it means to be a woman. I'm allowing that's a, my that's a That's a powerful point. That's actually very interesting. I often wonder what would happen to women if we left them in a society that was completely devoid of all the, the constructs of what it is to be, like there were no essentially, there were no men or women around. They just brought, brought up in let's say one little family where uh, I guess everyone within that family is of mixed sexuality, whether it would lead them to become their own organic selves, which would be uh, identified with masculine and feminine or whether they morph into something else, you know? Because a lot of the, I mean, the argument you often hear is that so much of um, our ideas of sex as far as gender are shaped by the environment, you know? And I, I think what you were saying really uh, identifies the fact that ultimately we do have the capacity and we're, we're really in our, we're st standing in our true selves when we allow ourselves to um, flourish without being attached to what is masculine, what is feminine, you know, that we see when, within society, if that makes sense. Of course. And the, the problem with what people are doing with this breaking out of gender roles thing, it's like, okay, I'm breaking out of the, the role that a woman is a housewife, which is a conceptual construct. And then instead, what I'm going to do is make a whole other, other series of mental constructs to define myself by. Yeah. Oh, now mm -hmm. I'm a gray gender. I'm a neutral gender. I'm a, it's like, you're doing the exact same thing. You're confining the body to a mental construct. And that is a rejection of the feminine and an immature masculine. Same thing. So you're just doing the same thing. You're just calling it a, a different, you know, pot calling the kettle black. And that when you look at nature, if you look at the eucalyptus tree, you look at the aloe vera plant, you look at the rose, you look at the lily, the lily doesn't know it's a lily. All right. It's, it's, it's liliness is transcending the, the concept, of course, but it is its own nature. It blooms fully. And so what we've done to ourselves as humans, we're like a plant that we put concrete all over and that's our mental constructs. But we are a nature. The feminine essence, when women do womb work, the, the womb becomes obvious that it's, it's so obvious that the womb is a direct portal to the feminine essence. That's not my opinion. That's not a mental construct of woman. That's nature, just as in the same way that men's initiating spirit or the masculine initiating spirit is reflected in the biology where the sperm, of course, sparks the process of, of the egg. And so the essence of the body, we, of course, we are not the body. We are consciousness. Consciousness is androgynous, really. Being itself is, is the yin-yang. It's everything. But when we express in form, we are playing out those principles. And so if a woman really matures her masculine, if she goes through initiation with that, then at some point she will be called to take him in her into her as the earth body. And when she does that, women will open into a deep receptivity and a depth of power that is very specifically accessible through her womb. And of course, men can access that too, because they have their own version. But women are always going to be that much more deeper, just in the same way that as he emerges in his presence, he, as he matures into his manhood, there is a penetrative and spacious capacity that really comes alive in the nature. And we've seen that. But in this world where we've become so lodged in our conceptual realm, we think this, yeah, we just uh, make this fallacy all the time rather than coming into the really deep appreciation and the love of what we are at the most deepest, natural, matured level. And the beauty of how we are designed to collaborate and fit together. I mean, 
that the, the war between the sexes is just absolute nonsense. And it, to the degree that a woman is hating or angry at her man, it's because she just hasn't dealt with her, her wounding. She has not dealt with the father trauma and she's just projecting it onto men. And she's basically, she's just being sexist. She's perpetuating patriarchy in believing that she's fighting. It's like to do that, to, to be like that, like, oh, fuck men. That's patriarchal mm. by its nature. Yeah. It's consciousness, like, rejecting life, rejecting love, and that is patriarchy. That's such and- a salient point. I, I often this, see the, the same kind of hypocrisy in the way that we look at identity politics. It's like we we care so much about not being racist that we're willing to, to have this... Uh, racism of low expectations, feeling as if, oh, we need to treat certain minority classes um, with special attention, like black people. And I, I, I had a girl say to me one time <laughs> um, that she looked that she basically she said that it is impossible for me anytime I go for a job interview to be on the same level of, of, of likelihood to get that job because I'm black. And it's just it's just a fact like I will I'm just at a at a low like I won't be and she was trying to say that as a compliment I'm telling well I don't look at myself like that I mean I think I have a lot of black privilege you know I have a lovely smile you know I'm hey I, I don't <laughs> I don't burn in the sun and like I'm athletic you know and if I go for a job interview more often than not if you have you met me I'm super charming I'm not going to be at a disadvantage it's like no no it's just and the thing is I see this in the same way that there's this hypocrisy in sexism it's like oh we you know, there's this unfairness towards women therefore I'm going to start looking at men as the enemy I feel like there's this hypocrisy in the way that we look at identity politics a lot of the times and how we we structure society where we're assuming that someone is of less worth in a way, even though we're, we're saying that we care more about them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but whoa, yeah, we, Risa, we have gone through so many, so much information and it's, it's, it feels like it's been the blink of an eye, you know, I, I really appreciate this. Um, I, I, I would love to hear your perspective, your esoteric psychological breakdown of what is going on in the world right now in terms of, uh, in terms of these lockdowns, in terms of these mandatory restrictions, the vaccines. I mean, how do you see what is going on being a reflection of things that we're dealing with individually and collectively? Um, I mean, what's your breakdown of, of what's going on right now? Yeah. Well, really depends on your level of analysis, but uh, I would say the key is to be very flexible and and fluid in our capacity to to act responsibly, to take sovereign care of our own lives, and that means I mean with this vaccine stuff, it's just ridiculous, and you know it's important that we be willing to stand for the no obviously, uh, and to accept the consequences of being truthful at times where truth is becoming more and more threatening and more and more cracked down on. So there's always that aspect of responsibility in trusting your deepest nature and trusting um, what needs to be, yeah, how you need to conduct yourself in these times. However, it's also a matter on the other side of picking your battles uh, with discernment and with maturity and yes, okay, lockdowns, it's awful. But, you know, the, the, the upside of that is the way in which we're kind of being sent to our rooms if we look at it from an, a metaphysical level rather than thinking about it as government. It's like, okay, what, does this, what is this opportunity for me at a being level right now? Can I rest into my core, into my center? Can I dissolve beyond the chaos that is appearing in my outer world? And to continue 
merging with and coming to know yourself as the infinite because that is the only way out. I mean, you know, if, even if you end up going to jail for, for um, you know, saying no to something, if it gets that bad, we have to be willing to stand in the flame in a circumstance like that and to know yourself as, as that eternal flame, as that truth and to rest in that in, yeah, in a, it's the, the deepest knowing that you can have of how to hold yourselves in these times. And of course, all those acts of responsibility, taking the best care for yourself, compassion with yourself, giving yourself time for the nervous system to wind down and rest and relax so that you're not, because it's just as much another kind of identity to get into the fight with the outer world. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, you can stay centered in what is true without having to contract and become another identity. It's like, see that there is no fight, see that the battle is internal. And when you come to that point of union within yourself, then you can come out into the world in what appears to be a battle with that, with that wisdom. And that is what will transform. Absolutely. Yeah. That was beautiful. I, I'm not sure if you knew that you did this, but I felt as if you you illustrated both the the, the different archetypes, like the, the masculine and the feminine, you know, on one hand, standing in your sovereignty, but also on the other hand, looking at this as an opportunity for growth and uh, reflection. And it's like the perfect answer, because I, I think often people get too caught up in one mindset. And uh, I think in order to have uh, a clearer perspective, we need to bring together both concepts you know the the sacred feminine the sacred masculine in regards to what's going on in our, in our world so i thought that was uh was very beautiful but uh risa i like to call you risa boom shakalaka <laughs> um because you you bring on so many yeah you uh, you bring on a lot of um interesting um dimensions into the conversation you know um we didn't even get to touch on the on the art that you're i know that is still a big part of your life and the acting and whatnot but Thank you for coming on the crucial journey and dropping these wisdomatic truth bombs, these uh, these musings, these revelations, these uh, these soft, sacred, feminine ideals, and this uh, this understanding of sovereignty. It really is a pleasure. You are you are a scholar. You are a sacred lady of the heart and uh, a true a true a true priestess. <laughs> So <laughs> thank you once again. And look, uh, I would love to have you come on anytime. Um, this is the first like legit Zoom session I've done. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm glad that it was with you. And once again, um, wish you all the best. And uh, we will have to bring you on again another time, Risa. Absolutely. It was a wonderful pleasure to speak with you. Very fun. And uh, yeah, thank, for, thank you to everyone for tuning in. And if you want to find out more about me, uh, website, which is core core hyphen or dash integrity.com sure that out as well. i will put that down on the details on the on the uh, on the link here uh, do you are you want any other social media i know you just recently uh gone off got off well i presume well i know you're on telegram that's how we kind of linked up uh you want anything else yeah we're on youtube so if you look up core integrity we should come up or core integrity risa we're on youtube and uh, uh, facebook and a few other things as well so yeah feel free to tune in and uh, connect there awesome well I'll, I'll put that down thanks again risa it's been an absolute pleasure until next time peace out keep it real this is your chocolate newbie and chris Shule. <laughs> all right so i'll come back to you i'm just going to wind things down now but thank you so much risa yeah, thank you. It was a very fun uh, dance with you today. <laughs>